Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. There's the social side and the cultural aspect of all this. I've, I've been talking to people who have looked at United States Pharmacopoeia. A monograph for cannabis was filed way back in 1860 or so, and then removed in 1942. Mm. This is the Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. I am Joyce Gerber, and welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can of story at a time, because women still have rights. <laughs> I wear my pink pussy hat a today. Few. I'm, a, I'm a little <laughs> raged. I got a little white rage, red rage. You know, I like, I'm a divorce attorney, righteous indignation is literally my favorite emotion. I just, I can't get over it anyway. So your friend yes. Tip O'Neill is rolling over in his grave right now. Isn't my he? friend Tip. I just, we're one country people, United States of America. Humans are humans. I thought humans were women too, but maybe there's a part of our country that doesn't believe it, but we can talk about that later. Cause I like to talk about good stuff on this show, right? Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Although I did think it was, I did think it was cruel that the draft opinion apparently says that the decision Roe versus Wade has divided our country, suggesting that this reversal of it will somehow unite our country. Just uh, pretzel logic and completely. And again, well, lawyers, we talk about this a lot and they are. There is a distraction on the other side saying, oh, my God, the bigger issue is that it got leaked. Oh, who cares? God bless you, whoever leaked it. You know, lordy, lordy, yeah. you know, politics, pot, 
religion. We like to mix it all up. Okay. But this weekend was our first High Tea Boston. It was awesome, as we like to call it, the Boston Tea Party. So cool. Saw the photos. It was beautiful. We had silver and we had real teacups that everyone got as a gift. We had an awesome swag bag. I got to talk. Dr. Bridget Williams flew in from Ohio. She got to talk. My friend Sherry Berman is a Canada educator. And it was just a really great gathering. Love it. Love it. So there, actually, I wanted to do a quote from somebody. Just so you know how great it was, I received this message. My guest said, I was very impressed and I had a great time. It was interesting, well-paced, entertaining, and thought-provoking. It also left me wanting more. Once you and your guests started speaking, there wasn't a boring moment. Glad I came. Love it. Rave reviews. Rave reviews. So we're going to do it again because we got such a good reviews. Hopefully maybe in the fall. I think that's another good time to do another tea party. For sure. All right. When it gets cold, warm yourself up with tea and some cannabis. Exactly. Look at you. (laughs) Okay. And I just want to say we have officially launched the first Keep the Candle Mom Conversation Going campaign. We did it on Sunday and we are going to reach our goal of $20,000 by reaching people and selling cool stuff like this amazing Candle Mom Show swag silk scarf. One of a kind. Limited edition. I wish our listeners could see it. The, The colors just pop off of that scarf. I love it. It is awesome. And you know, One of the big things we're going to be offering, because I love the month of May, you could be a sponsor for season four. We're going to start looking for season four sponsors now. And if you contact me in month of May, because it's my favorite month, it's my birthday. Mm. It's Mother's Day. We're giving you a special price because you can get get on the Cannon Mom Show bandwagon. Join us early. Great. Fantastic. I know. We love it. Okay. And so I'd love to hear from you. All the information is on my crowdfunding campaign, is on the website, in the show notes, and Instagram bio and any way you can reach me. I'm doing reels now. You can actually see me dancing on Instagram if this will make you happy. And then you can give us some money. <laughs> we'll dance for you. Show. <laughs> Do anything for attention. Okay. Um, and one more thing. I am attending the Canna Law Conference this week virtually. I got to say, it's a very dry Canna event. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I go to a lot of Canna events, you know. One thing is they are not dull, but lawyers are scary and they, we this know how true. many things can go wrong in this industry and lawyers are very concerned about all the issues. This is a really, this is a very complicated piece of law to be involved with if it's state law and illegal federally and you've got the can. So they have to advise people about all the things that have to go wrong. That's what lawyers do. Right. So I understand why it was so scary. They're really trying to warn all the new lawyers, like you're not going to jump into this and make a lot of money. Just like everyone else, you're going to be paying your dues. Yeah. Yeah. But then we're going to know stuff. That's why they pay lawyers, because you know stuff. You do need the lawyers. You do need the the lawyers. I know. Sorry, people. You do need us. (laughs) All right. And before I introduce today's guest, I want to thank our sponsor, Girl, Get That Money, for making today's show possible. A lot of stuff to talk about, Dave. I know. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world besides cannabis. But I can always bring it back to cannabis. So that is what our guest is going to do. Cool. All right. So today's guest is the first executive director for the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation, CFCR. She's experienced with startup companies in the media, broadcast, and communication space, has held various COO, CFO, communication, and business development positions, and worked closely with executive teams in the United States, 
Europe, and Asia to translate high-level visions into realized corporate entities. From 2016 to 2020, she served as the Chief Operating Officer for the Alda Communications Training Company, helping her mentor, legendary actor, writer, and director, yes, Alan Alda, bring his proven improv and communication methods to the world. She also served as the executive producer, writer, and voiceover artist for Alan's podcast, another podcaster, Clear and Vivid, and produced over 100 episodes with the notable guests, including, just like our lineup, Dave, Tom Hanks, Paul McCartney, <laughs> Julie Andrews, Madeline Albright, Tina Fey, Michael J. Fox, Judge Judy, Isabella Rossellini, and more. Wow. Right? When, she are, they led, be, when are they going to be on the Cannamom show? I want them. Next, next season. Next <laughs> okay. season. We have a connection now. She has led communication and media training workshops for corporate clients, as well as at the United States, NASA, and the Nature Conservancy in various Shark Tank events, and has served as an executive committee member of the National Small Business Association in Washington, D.C., and as a featured panelist and consultant with the Global Coalition for Aging and the Council on Foreign Relations. Before moving back to the United States in 2013, she worked from international office locations in both London and Frankfurt, where she advised in a diverse range of clients and companies. She enjoyed being featured political commentator on Sky News and BBC Radio while living abroad. And now she is working in cannabis. Let's find out how this happened. <laughs> Please welcome to the Cannabis Show, Sarah Chase, Executive Director for the Center for the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. David, Joyce, thank you. What an honor. That was that was a great intro. And the listeners can't see you right now, but the the, the bright pink hat and the and the beautiful scarf. This is amazing. How do I get the scarf? I want one. You can go on the crowdfunding campaign. They are available as a reward. Just check it out. It's show notes on the on the website. Yeah, this is actually a, a takeoff on a quilt I made last year. We called it Dave likes to put the music on. <laughs> we called it Women of the Amazing Technicolor Dream <laughs> Quilt based on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Joseph's Dream Coat. brothers want to please with what they saw. We have never <laughs> liked him all that much before. And now this coat has got our goat. And if he was... You yeah. know it! You're the only, you're you the only guest who knows it. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was the first musical I ever saw. My mother took me to the Sharon Playhouse in Sharon, Connecticut. I was four years old. <laughs> Holy, I have the record. I don't know if you can see behind me. I actually have the album. Where is it back there? <laughs> yeah, I do see it. Oh, awesome. Oh, I'm definitely getting any scarves. All right, well, I'm going to notes right afterward. Everything I learned about life, I learned it from musical theater. So, all right, let's go. We have something. Oh, we could do the whole show on this, Joyce. <laughs> all right, but no, we have to start with Alan Alda. All right, so I actually once saw Alan Alda in a New York restaurant with my mother, and she did go over and bug him, and my whole family was horrified. But we're like, <gasps> he's he he loves all of his fans. He's a great guy. All right, so does he think? What does he think about cannabis, Alan Alda? <laughs> uh, I I I don't even pre- pretend to know. <laughs> <laughs> all right it isn't all about cannabis all right so sarah good lord why cannabis how did you get to be the executive director of this amazing organization and basically how did it start actually can you talk about the cfcr how did it come to be and yeah, well, yeah what's the mission 
CFCR is very unique in the space. And I think we're, we're one of the few organizations that's really focused on regulation too. And um, Sherry Orlowitz, who's the, the founder uh, and, the, and the chair of the board has served with, she's originally an entrepreneur. She also worked for the Department of Justice for a long time. Um, and, and I should say many of the people who are part of CFCR either come out of a former government job or a public servants of some sort. And they recognize that there is a need right now for a regulated space around the cannabis industry at, at the federal level. Um, yeah. so there, there are, you know, as you're well aware, there's a hodgepodge of rules around the states, a hodgepodge of regulations. None of them really are informing industry and um, to a greater extent, aren't really protecting health, human health and safety. So I got into this industry because I, I, I sort of latched on to that as something, I like white space and areas where there's a great deal of opportunity. And I thought, wow, cannabis industry, here's something where you've got legalization occurring at the state level. You don't have any kind of federal oversight over this. You don't have any sort of compliance standards or anything that, that's sort of setting the stage for what ultimately we will be the end of prohibition. I mean, the, the writing's on the wall here. Talk, talk about having a technicolor dream coat and being able to see into the future. So that was that sort of interested me about this. And, you know, I, I come from a, originally a political science background. So I, I like to understand public policy. And then having worked with Alan and the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science, for so many years. I really like how scientists can help guide public dialogue and public discourse. Mm. So this CFCR, the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation, hit on a number of different levels for me because it helped me to align where I, what I liked about public policy, what I liked about science communication, and ultimately what I like about good civil discourse and good American politics in being able to, and, and I say that the good part of that, that because mm -hmm. you have a burgeoning industry here where you have a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who share the same common purpose and the same intent around this, which is to come up with a well-regulated industry so you can protect the American consumer and also you can build a new pretty much, you know, huge entrepreneurial industry off of this exactly. which will and create a lot of jobs. So bing, bing, bing on all the boxes. That's a lot of box. All right. So I like I came into it because there's something new. You never get to be part of something new. So the white space, I kind of I totally get that. And I'm in Massachusetts. So one of the first states that legalized it for adult use and medical in New England. So I am seeing it at a policy level. I do like local policy and politics stuff. So I can see how it's like not just state. It's like it's municipality and you never have something without like there's no there's no umbrella across the country. There's right. nothing for us to figure out. So we're coming, kind of doing this backwards. All right. So I do love policy. I think it's fun to talk about. What are you doing? Like, what do you, so I hear from a lot of advocates. I know growers. I know women in the industry. I know the big fear is that big businesses are coming in. Safe banking is coming is a big issue. Like I'm a podcast and I couldn't get a bank account because I had cannabis in my name. Like you know, what? The, yeah. yeah. So again, there's like, there's the monetary issues. There's the business um, regulation is the health and wellness, because I like to talk about this more as health and wellness. Mm -hmm. So what path, federal regulation is big. So what are you thinking about pathways? Like, what do you, do you think there's like an area that this should be regulated under? Like, how are you envisioning this? I like to talk about as health and wellness. Do you come at it that way too, when you approach the policy work? Primarily, yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely a medical pathway for this too because I uh, mean you know, I'm I'm here in California at CanMed at, at a big medical oh, conference. So there you are. <laughs> yeah. So I and I, I may be my my thinking may be skewed in that direction right now too. Just just to warn you, <laughs> that's fair. Science um, is good. It's not. It's you know again. It's not a belief system, people. This is like it's not voodoo magic. This is you know our bodies. This is our bodies and science and chemistry. Yeah. And biology. Yeah. 
and and I, I I'm 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 personally not a recreational user, and I, I never this is this is sort of new to me in, in this space. But I I, I came into it because I'm a I'm a marathon runner, and as I age, I've had difficulties with NSAIDs and, and other form of anti-inflammatory and pain relievers. So I was you know just as a as an amateur athlete thinking, well, CBD and and CBA and all these other you know compounds of this they have therapeutic qualities that are heretofore undiscovered. I mean, there's, there's a lot of research yeah. on animal models and things that are out there, but there isn't a lot of, because of, of prohibition, there isn't a lot yeah. of research data. So I'm, I'm fascinated by the endocannabinoid system because it exists in the body. We know as you know, if, if you're a, a marathoner or a runner, part of your runner's high is created by cannabinoids, um, which are naturally occurring in the body. So I think that that's so funny. We had our cannabis educator was just talking about that because they used to yeah. say it was endorphins, but it's not endorphins. No, they're finding out that they had originally thought it was endorphins, but it, it, it's it, the latest science on it. And there's there's a um, couple of articles that have been published recently indicate that it's more the cannabinoid system. So, I mean, it's it goes back to to be poetic here. It's it's sort of, you know, there are more things in heaven and earth ratio than are dreamt of in your philosophy. <laughs> quote Hamlet, but our Shakespeare. And I think that's very true still of science right now, because, you know, if you look where we are in, in the scientific world, really in the last 50 years, we've started to understand personalized medicine and genetics. And we're really just at the at the forefront of that too. I mm-hmm. mean, talk about a brand new space in terms of human history and, and insight into. into and this is body. the most personal, I say this all the time, this is the most personalized medicine there is because people yes. are actually using yeah. it as personalized. They're, they're starting with it as personalized because in order to use it, you really have to, for these women I talked to literally heal themselves. Mm-hmm. But be, being so conscious of how your body works, which isn't necessarily how we work with pills. So I, this is amazing to hear you saying this. Okay. Well, this gets back to what a lot of the scientists and doctors here are saying too, and, and leads to a regulatory question, which mostly has to do with dosing. Right. Um, and that is, that is, I think, going to be one of the biggest questions that, that both scientists and regulatory scientists will have to deal with because the dosing seems to be very personalized. And, and that comes down to even though at the molecular level with mixings of the various minor cannabinoids along with THC, at what level, what's effective, what's actually binding with, with the endocannabinoid system, your ECS. So, you know, I, I think these are, these are big questions that we are going to want to understand that of course opens up a pharmaceutical pathway for all of this there there's and I, i'm i'm whatever comments i say are not necessarily reflective of, of cfcr's policies because we're still yeah. defining what they are as we go along but yeah. i but this I, is, again this is like every day every day every moment everybody's learning things because yeah. like we say this is a big industry that whatever it is you do cannabis needs you this is a whole nother area of science like a new area of science. Like we talk a lot about business and we talk a lot about horticulture, but we don't talk about science that much on the show. Well, we, we don't talk about plant science either. And, mm-hmm. and as, as, as humans, we don't talk too much about it. And that's, that's been probably to our detriment for, you know, the last hundred or so years is we've, we've had really good botanists out there and really good chemists, but we haven't really brought them together. And I think now we're really sort of understanding the potential for plant-based science and medicine and that, you know, that's informing both how we consume things. I was listening to a, another podcast the other day. I think it was called The Science of Ultra about ultra, ultra running. And they had a nutritionist on there. And she said that the ideal scenario for your microbiome, 
another area that we're still beginning right. to learn. And I would not be surprised if the microbiome has a great impact on the endocannabinoid system. Great. Um, the, she was saying that in order to make that really truly effective, you have to eat 35 different species of plants per week. So you want to have a diversity of, of flora in, in your gut in order for it to be really effective. Now, if you think about what you eat in terms of, of plant-based materials, it's everywhere, things from oats to fruits to, mm. you know, you see, but if you try to get 35 a day or a week, you're not going to get there very easily. I mean, I mean, it's hard enough to get kids to eat three fruits a day, I mean, <laughs> I just, oh. but I mean, again, we're so out of balance, like everything that we've done for our systems over the past hundred years in the name of convenience really are, are making us move. I, we've taken a lot of the nature out. I mean, this is what I'm learning and I'm yeah. a very Western girl. Like I wear pearls and play tennis. I always say this, but this idea that we're coming back and understanding that we are sort of want, you know, we're, we're connected to stuff that's around us. That's why it's here. And yeah, cannabis and is like one of those things. Th this is a concern when you talk about this, the synthetic version of all of these, these chemicals that we're, or molecules that we can create from the plant too, you know, the, the variation between Delta nine and Delta eight, for example, you know, is, is Delta eight because it's, it's a salt, it's created with solvents. It's, it's an extraction or it's synthesized, you know, is that, less healthy in some ways than something that's naturally occurring like delta nine. And, you know, are we going to do ourselves a disservice if we start to create synthesized molecules out of all of the plant? Yeah. That's, and again, that kind of comes back to regulation. Nothing is regulated. All right. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it, all right, it'll so back to regulation at some stage. Yeah. Well, it's because there are no boundaries. So if people, no one's telling you what to do, I mean, all we've had for a hundred years is no, Yep. Right. And then all of a sudden we opened it up, but there aren't, I don't know, we're just humans. There aren't any guideposts. And then if everyone's trying to find loopholes, cause they keep trying to like, it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah. So. Except cannabis is so interesting. Cause it, you know, there's, there's this, the social side of it and the cultural aspect of all this too, which um, has been the war on drugs. I've, I've been talking to people who have looked at United States pharmacopoeia and a monograph for cannabis was filed way back in like 1860 or so. Right. Don't quote me on the date, but very early on. Right. And then it was removed in 1942. Right. So obviously there was a correlation with 1937 and, you know, what kind right. of happened there in terms of, of the war on drugs and Anslinger and-, and Harry Anslinger. Yeah. And like my pink hat. <laughs> Harry. <laughs> it's, it's like when the, when the Library of Alexandria burned and, and we lost, you know, a, a fraction of the, of the world's um, best knowledge. I think that's, that's one of the things that occurred in, in the early part of the war on drugs and, and continue to occur is that research was hampered. We, we lost the ability and, and the, I think the, the wherewithal to want to discover more things around these plants and systems that we for centuries had used to, to treat some of the maladies. So can, can I just ask you, so I learned all this. I didn't know any of this existed until I started learning about it. So was your understanding growing up of any of this? Did you understand plant medicine? Did you know any of this history? Like, when did you learn all these things that, oh, maybe our government was like against us? They really, they, they, there, was, there was a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I've, I've always had a, a natural inclination to be skeptical about too much authority. <laughs> okay, there you go. Those are good. Yeah. Um, and my, my father was a Vietnam veteran. And he, he served um, three tours of duty in Vietnam. So, I, it, but my mother was, it was very kind of, you know, she was the, the welfare administrator in town. She was the, the person who was sort of like, well, government does a lot of good for you. It's got a great social policy behind it. I, I 
I cautioned by saying I won the dare essay contest in sixth grade. Cause I was very much like, I won't do drugs. I, you know, and I, and I, I, I was going to bring that up at the end of the show, but yeah. But uh, at the same time, because my father kind of came back a little skeptical of the government and, and, you know, I, I sort of had a healthy chip on my shoulder about that too, which I think is good. And, and particularly in a democracy. And I will say my, in my family too, my mother was a Democrat and my father was a Republican and they, Me too. my dad sat on the right side of the table. My mom sat on the left and dinners were like a, a debate contest every single night and I just sat in the middle like watching the the tennis ball go back and forth <laughs> that's good you learned what it is I don't know I believe in government I mean I believe that we own the government the government doesn't own us this is a kind of a whole discussion about this but I do believe in structures of government I think there's you know a place for government private isn't always better than public and that we have to figure out how to do so you lived in it you lived in the discussion you heard yeah. it growing up that's good for you and i think government does a lot of good and sometimes it does some bad too and, yeah. and when it does the bad you you got to step in and say whoa stop i mean um a case in point with what's going on with the supreme court right now i mean i mean that is from the, you know from a lawyer's perspective you know bad policy bad law and then the people all who are enforcing that it's not their fault but that is what their job is it is to enforce that law because in theory we're a nation of laws that makes sense yeah but yeah and, okay for, for cannabis, this, this makes, I mean, it, it comes down to issues of states' rights, too, and, and where where does this really get regulated, which I think is another fascinating topic. I, again, I, I work for the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation, so it, it's, I think it's, it states what it is that I think this, this does belong at the federal level. So what do you, okay, so we're just going to, let's pull it back to federal. So I kind of think of federal laws as like an, almost like a framework mm-hmm. across the country, and then People can hang up, you know, each state can do it as they want, but there's a baseline and that's from the federal government. So what do you think, what are you working on? What is sensible? What do you think? I mean, besides we need banking <laughs> yeah. like, and I don't know, take it off the subsidy list. Like, is that part of the agenda? Like, how are you thinking about this for regulations? But if for us, it really comes down to the FDA and how the FDA is, I think, ultimately going to regulate this. And, and I think that a number of the different bills out there, there, there is, you know, does it go to TTB? Are we going to regulate this as an industry that is more like tobacco and, and alcohol? Can you actually, can you give the pros and cons of how like each, I guess, federal level, like if there was under health and wellness, it was like health or is it under like the FDA, like should it be under a drug? Like how, where do you think it should be housed or how do you think this should work? Well, how do you, how would it work if it like, and maybe how would it work under each of these? Maybe that's where you yeah, are. I think the position of CSCR is that we, we would prefer that there is a separate office for, for cannabis products created at FDA. Cause I think you, you do have something that's very unique here. And that may be ultimately, and just to, to speculate that that also could be alternative therapies when you, or, or in even alternative plant-based therapies, when you're talking about semen and right. sort of other things that we may discover over a period of time too, you know, okay. it, that that goes to say that there are studies out now, you know, where you're finding cannabinoids in rhododendrons and other mm-hmm. materials. So um, mushrooms, I just heard this morning on Clubhouse where I get all my information. They're talking about some kind of mushrooms having terpenes. That's just, possible. Yeah. Yep. I, I would not be surprised if you started to to really study, you know, if you picked up a marigold, you'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, well, they didn't know they were looking for it, maybe. Uh, that's interesting. That is so much new science. I'm not a science person. I know nothing about chemistry or how the human body works, but I just find this fascinating because this is such an interesting new area for people to go deeper and deeper. 
Yeah, and 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 I think scientists find this very fascinating too. So even the regulatory scientists who who I've talked to, you know, they're kind of like, oh wow, uh, we didn't know that. Oh, that's fascinating. That's creating a regulatory hurdle for them at the same time because now they're also charged with you know protecting your your health and safety. And and what we what we need to understand better is how are particularly the minor cannabinoids metabolized in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what does it affect? What are adverse effects? You know, again, how does dosing impact this? What are there? There's obviously the entourage effect, which tends to be positive, but there can often be drug interactions with other things that you're taking. Case in point would be like an older adult who's got an aging endocannabinoid system may need a higher dose of something, but that could then impact what they're taking as a statin or. I know that's true. Can you explain how that works? Do you know how that, why that's true? Do scientists know yet? Is it because Uh, it's metastasized in the liver or something? What I, again, cautionary tale here. I'm yeah. not a scientist. <laughs> Me neither. I don't know anything. I just talk uh, about this. Yeah. <laughs> what what I heard and in, in, in the hearing is that you you should take CBD. And I, I'm going to say CBD specifically because that's that's the one I've, I've heard conversations about with some type of food, particularly less sort of something that's like a fat solvent, right. fat solvent but like an oil or like a... Yep. Because if you don't, then it does tend to metabolize directly to the liver. So it, it, it will, it will cause, it won't cause, you know, no more liver damage probably than, than having five or, you know, a shot or two at any kind of level, but it, it, you, again, take it with food because it does metabolize directly to the liver. It, yeah. it just goes there. So you, if you, if, excuse me, it, it metabolizes directly to the liver if you don't take it with food. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the fat thing is like, that seems to be consistent that I hear about, you know, always yeah. using fat. So, and there, there's a theory too, that, that CBD may be, and some of the, some of the other um, minor cannabinoids may be something that you want to take as a daily supplement too. So right. there, there could be the, the idea that you take it like a vitamin C pill or vitamin D and that, that would put it in the sort of nutraceutical realm where it's, but a, it, which is kind of how people talk about it really. I mean, now that I, yeah. I'm in this world, yeah. they talk about how CBD obviously, cause it's so it's isolated, but that's a whole nother discussion, but it's like this one component and you have to take it like vitamin C, like you might just have a deficit. So you just take it like right. vitamin or sitting in the sun. So that is how they've been talking about it lately when I hear them talk. So. And, and that comes down again, a dosing issue too, because if you're taking something like an Epidiolex, which is a huge dose of it, you have to be careful too at, at that stage. And that's, you know, that, that puts it more on the pharmaceutical track because then it's an extracted, very, you know, kind of high level dose. But if you're taking, it's, it's sort of the difference between 30 milligrams and 300 milligrams. It's, it's right. Oh yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. Um, and what about, I mean, I just, I think hemp is the biggest issue of all. I think that's the, that's the plant that is going to transform our country if we can go from you know carbon to cannabis that's my joke so are you dealing with it are you dealing with hemp are you is that separate how are you talking about hemp well we're, we're dealing with hemp because hemp is is federally legal and you know the, the in cbd is, is is federally legal basically because of the loophole in the usda usda farm bill so in and that's why there is a call to fda to say you got to regulate this because it, it, it's on the market it's a consumer product and it you know it's, it's time to do something about it because if you don't then you are going to start to get adverse reactions and you're going to see people you know get sick or even potentially die from some of the extracted products or you know just kind of bad Science, bad lab. But I mean, I'm not even talking about stuff medications. I'm talking about hemp products like fibers and hempcrete and oh, okay. industri- oh. industrial hemp, like industrial hemp okay. to like take away plastics or to, you know, there's, there's a whole, that's much bigger. And if we could transform our country to hemp growers instead of oh, corn yeah. growers. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and historically we have done that too. Right. Uh, you know, during 
my, my husband's from Illinois. And if you still walk around in the, in the hedgerows and things um, in the state of Illinois, you'll find hemp growing just wild randomly around there because it was grown during World War II to produce materials for the war. You know, in China, the, their, their military wears all hemp made uniforms because it's antimicrobial and it's a much better uniform to, or material to make a uniform out of, particularly for the military. So th- there is a huge potential for the U.S. hemp market. And I, I agree with many people who say it should be, you know, the next U.S. commodity along with soy and corn. And there you can make biofuels out of it. You can make hemp crate out of it. You, there's, it's, I, the story I, I recently read was, you know, the first transatlantic cables that went under the ocean they were actually wrapped in hemp cloth because hemp cloth helped protect the cables from the seawater. If they were not, and if you go into the U.S. Capitol dome, there's a picture in the in the top of the dome, and one of them is Neptune, and Neptune's got this long cable in his hand, and it's the transit first transatlantic cable, which is wrapped in hemp. hemp. So. <laughs> I thought I, again, hemp is this magical plant that has been given to us that we've taken it away. I mean, I've actually heard even things like part of our endocannabinoid imbalance. Like when I talked to, you know, is there a way to actually check is part of it is that it used to just be everywhere. Animals ate it. We ate the animals. Like it was around us in a way that it, it was literally removed from our systems. Yeah. I, I think of my dog sometimes because here's a, here's an animal who, or animals in general, who we have for the most part put on processed foods, right? You know, you, you buy your, your dog food at the, at the grocery store and you give your dog basically a processed food diet. And a lot of it has, by the way, anyone listening, look at your packaging, do not buy dog food with soy in it because soy will cause your dog to get horrible intestinal bloat, which can lead to your, to a twisted gut. So a cautionary tale there. This is, this okay. is, <laughs> I used to, I used to work for a veterinarian and was a vet tech. So um, I geek out on, on vet science sometimes. Okay. So feeding, sure- my, feeding my elderly pet is like my biggest trauma every day, but I'm doing a good job. <laughs> so look, look for, look for soy on the label and, and stay away from it if you can. So some of the, some of the wild grain, not wild grain, but the, the more in, in sort of protein based um, dog foods are better with wild grains as opposed to soy. And but my point being, if, if you, if you watch your dog these days, if you, if they're on processed foods sort of exclusively, when you take them outside nine out of ten dogs will go over and start eating plants they will they'll you know they'll chew on grass they'll find something and it's it's as observationally and if you were a scientist you might think hmm my dog is self-selecting to go over and chew on these plants is there something missing in this dog's diet i wonder what that is and that's the science question. That's that curiosity that ought to be circulating in everybody's mind. Now, is this true? Because we have also, as a human species, started to eat a lot more processed foods, mm-hmm. particularly in the 80s and 90s. And we have, you know, data is showing that we have higher rates of obesity. We have higher rates of cancer. We have higher rates of all these things. And now it could be that we're we're more sedentary. That's a huge contribution to this. Although I read something, I was trying to like, humans are meant to sit. <laughs> <laughs> we are built to rest like the <laughs> it's like um, a misunderstanding <laughs> the, the the guy who wrote born to run might disagree <laughs> <laughs> that you know we can i don't yeah. know <laughs> no it, it, the i think dan lieberman at harvard who's the one of the um scientists there wrote a book on extra it's called exercised and he when he studied sort of the hodsa people realized that most of them only cover 
I say only, this is massively more than most Americans, yeah. but, but they cover about nine miles per day. And I think the average American probably covers like nine tenths of a mile per day, unfortunately. But, you know, if you think about what you, what you had, would have expected a hunter gatherer to be like, oh, that's it. <laughs> but that's a lot of ener- energy. Expense. That is a lot of energy. So I, I do have to take a break. <laughs> so we will be back with our guest, Sarah Chase of the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation, talking more cannabis, maybe more exercising. I don't know. We're going to get to something else um, after our message from today's sponsor. Girl, get that money. Girl, get that money's founder, Khadija Adams, is an author, business empowerment coach, entrepreneur, accredited investor, and motivational speaker who is driven by her mission to empower, guide, and educate amazing women. Whether you need help creating your business plan or help funding your business idea, Girl, Get That Money is ready to empower you by providing the resources for your optimal success. With Girl, Get That Money, you'll learn how to build a profitable company from scratch or scale an existing one by leveraging technology and automation tools. Khadija Adams understands what it takes to succeed. Her business empowerment coaching program has helped entrepreneurs grow into thriving businesses that provide value for others and themselves. Khadija's coaching program is designed to equip entrepreneurs with the tools necessary to take advantage of opportunities in this evolving cannabis industry. Reach out to Girl, Get That Money today and gain the edge that sets you apart and aid you in becoming a thriving canna entrepreneur. All right, Sarah, let's see. All right, what do you predict? What's going to happen today? <laughs> what are your predictions for the federal level? Will we ever get safe banking? Will it ever be taken off schedule? <laughs> Will it ever be descheduled? Like, where do you see things going? Are you talking to senators? Who do you talk to about this stuff? Well, I will say as, as we're talking, I'm just getting an email coming through that says Woodcock to chair FDA's Cannabis Council as it implements data plan. So it looks like the Janet Woodcock, who had been the interim commissioner, is about to, and I'm just reading this email, is about to head did the it, did it, did Breaking news on the Candomom show. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this this is this is an interesting announcement here. So it says on Friday, under Woodcock's leadership, the Cannabis Products Council, which will be under FDA, will focus on implementing FDA's cannabis-derived products data acceleration plan, which is something the, the agency did last launch last October. And that is to look at information gathered from alternative sources, including the internet and data sources about the efficacy and, and effectiveness and adverse effects of cannabis use in CBD products. Wow. And, Okay. So, all right. So here's my thing about CBD products. Mm -hmm. They work when they have what they say it's in them. I always tell people do not buy it at the gas station because it is so weirdly under-regulated and over-regulated. You literally need to know who is growing your hemp, (laughs) which is unfortunate because if I give people products that don't work for them the first time, they're going to think CBD is a far. So I am very conscious of trying to give people products that I know. I personally know people. So to have some sort of regulate boundaries again would be awesome i think yeah and you, and you want to know what the growing conditions are for the plants um, yeah what the what the processing conditions are you know and, and it's it's sort of you know people who prefer to know where their where their beef came from or you know where their where their vegetables came from when you go to the farmer's market and you know the farmer and you you know like okay it was grown in their soil in their backyard using these materials and again you're talking about a plant product so it, it is good to know where it's coming from and what the conditions are 
Oh, that's exciting. All right. So breaking news. You asked for crystal ball prediction. I, oh, yeah. I think, you know, most of the bills that are out there aren't going to go anywhere at this stage. And they are what, what we kind of refer to at CFC socialization bills. So they are to help sort of change thinking, change dynamics, sort of set the table a little bit for what will eventually be the end of prohibition, which is going to take some time. This administration under the, the, the Biden administration, you may see a, I think you will see some more, well, you, you may see a move potentially to a schedule two, as opposed to schedule one. And I think that's to open up medical research more so than anything else. And there are pros and cons, of course, to the pu- to the potential of, of that happening. I think you will see a lot more people let out of jail because of this with, with the president's power to do so. I think the, the first round that we just saw was very small, but I think there, there will be more coming. And I think he is committed to, to that on, on the social justice side and social equity. And certainly, and there is cannabis aside, there is a consistent need for more informed and intelligent criminal justice reform in this country. And, and, you know, the war on drugs is, is one aspect of it. There's, there's quite a bit of, of politics, I think, ar- around that. But he could do a lot of good for a lot of people right now. And I, and I think he will. And I think that's, that's a known. And I, I do believe you will see safe banking in some variation passed before the end of this year. I think that has become an issue because it is now, it in some ways makes the government complicit in the crime of, of supporting an illicit market. Um, and I think that's that's a conversation that's starting to be understood by majority of people in the House and the Senate, that that is a huge mistake by the American government. And we need to do a lot more to protect the people who are trying to make a legal pathway and who are both moving out of an illicit to illicit market, who are doing things correctly, and who at the end of the day are still reliant on a cash-based system that in some cases gets them killed. And that that does not an entrepreneurial market make, nor is that responsible on, on the, the part of our government to be, you know, still enforcing the rules and that are leading to the deaths of, of a lot of people. It's, uh, I mean, I, I think people to understand this, like I was literally, I'm on a, I'm doing this can of law conference on virtual and they're the people who've been doing this for a while talking to people who are interested. That seems to be most of the conference, but they're talking about the cash issue. Like they literally businesses want to pay you in cash. <laughs> I just, and lawyers can't do that, but it's just this idea that these are entrepreneurs. America, we used to like making money. This used to be our jam, like supporting entrepreneurs, small business. This is what this is. And you're making it as hard as possible for people to succeed. Like we didn't even get to 280E. That's a whole nother issue. (laughs) Like it's not treated like a normal business and yet people stay in it. I mean, a lot of it is the big money guys. I get that, but it's the ladies I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. who are healing themselves with this plant or their children who just keep going. They just keep moving forward. They are not looking backward, even though it seems almost impossible, but they keep going because they, they're evangelized. Well, they're, but they're doing it in a, in a great way too. It's it, it, because I think some, there are some groups that are really on the activist side and they sometimes fail to educate as they go along. But I think folks like you who are taking on this and seeing the full picture here and are working to educate and change hearts and minds at the same time are, you know, are doing a very effective job. And I think that's, that's why CFCR likes to be science led too, because it is really the science that, that drives a lot of this too, because it's, it's, it's a discovery process. It's going right. to change. And the one thing we learned about COVID is you have to, you know, the science on like on COVID, for example, 
change and changes on a daily basis because it's an evolving virus. It's an evolving um, way in which we are going to deal with it. And that means that what was true one day is not going to be true the next day. And that's something we all have to recognize about what we're going to learn about the endocannabinoid system and these and the, and the, the, the cannabinoids themselves. The data that we have on them is going to change on a fairly regular basis, particularly as we get into clinical trial de- details. Right. I mean, I'm in, I live in Cambridge, Mass. I'm in pharmaceutical country. Yeah. Communicating that and educating is, is kind of vital to all of this. And I, so <clears throat> the woman, everyone's doing it. Everyone talks about education. That's really what they talk about. I mean, it's just, it's stories. These stories yeah. are very powerful and politicians don't like changing their stories. It's kind of frustrating. Although I do think cannabis is like the Venn diagram, like for everyone, because everyone gets sick <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. in the middle. It can heal everyone. Even, you know, <laughs> we well, talk about, you know, the, the thing for your audience and your and your listeners to really know is, you know, if you've got a good story where this has impacted you or somebody you love or your child, you know, these are the these are the stories that you should be taking to your representatives. Mm-hmm. Write them, let them know about this. If you're a grower, if you're somebody who is in in the business, invite them to come visit you. You know, open the door, let them see what it is, talk about the issues, and educate them. Like just, you know, let seeing is believing open the door, educate. And, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, to spew information at them, welcome them in, share the story, get them. That's how you engage people. And people want to make up their own minds. This is what I've learned as a mom. I can't tell my kids anything, but if I make enough situations so that they believe it's their own idea, I've won. Treat your congressperson like your three-year-old. There you go. And, and to your, your frustration too about banking. I mean, this this also, you know, we're we, at CFCR. We don't touch the plant. We deal directly with the federal agencies. You know, we we are as sort of white shoe as it gets, I guess, in some of this. Mm-hmm. And we had a difficult time getting a bank account. We're having a hard time with our IRS nonprofit status because of this. And other groups have been denied because they've got cannabis in the title. I, I tried to connect our QuickBooks the other day to online payment processing and was denied by QuickBooks because cannabis was in the title. So we had to switch to PayPal in order to even process memberships online. So, you know, these are... These are little details that, you know, in, in every other business or company I have ever been a part of, that was not an issue. And I know this is a shock to your system. Are you like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like all these little challenges that you didn't expect. And it's, it's like every day it's, it's, I mean, in some ways it's like, why am I doing this to myself? Welcome to our world, Sarah. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We appreciate your powerful voice. <laughs> Uh-uh. In other ways, it also is like, this is ridiculous. Like, can we just get safe banking fast? <laughs> All right. So whatever you've lived in the real world, you've seen it, you see that cannabis is like the real world, but upside down and you're going to help us find a new way because the idea is also that this is a new industry and some of the rules in the old in- of business just suck. I mean, I talk a lot about business, especially for women. That's really my jam and that we can do something different. This is a new industry. Some of the rules are broken. They won't even let us in. So maybe we make our own world and we make it look a little bit better. That would be the joy. That would be the beauty of it. <laughs> I, I had to laugh the other day because in, in my in my Facebook feed there was a, a meme of Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill, and you know, of course, it's it's okay. every day it repeats itself. I'm like, I feel like this sometimes, and it goes to say, and even yep. 
insurance and other things like that. So it's, but I, what I appreciate about you, about Dave, about everybody else who is in this industry is that despite those challenges, I think we are, we are so involved in this and sort of see the potential enough that we are willing to work through all of those challenges. And it's sort of, in some ways, the worse it is, it's like, all right, bring it on. Let's, we, we can do this together. I got my pink pussy hat on. I can do anything. All right. So Sarah, what is happening for the rest of the year? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me um, with the, the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation. It's uscfcr.org. And we are also on Twitter and Facebook at uscfcr and also on Instagram. If I didn't say that, my social media manager would be really mad at me. Hi, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go um, <laughs> and uh, you can also find me at Sarah, that's with an H, Chase, like the bank, ha ha ha, dot B-I-Z dot biz. That's sarahchase.biz. You can book me for speaking if you would like. I'm, I'm you know, outspoken in so many bad ways. <laughs> <laughs> Only good ways. Good ways. Yeah. And uh, happy to come talk about cannabis, about regulation, about podcasting. I love podcasting. Oh, we don't even talk about podcasting. I'll have to come oh, back. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't even talked about your shirt too, which is, which I love. How, where did you get that? My friend, Louisa, she made my, she's an artist in Cambridge and she made my hat last, whatever, 2016. So oh, Louisa Bartman. You have a whole new career path here of, of, of Shopify. I'm going to go on to the, to the Joyce Gerber show and, and download all of, or not download, buy all of your, your materials in the background there. Thank you. Because I have so much stuff for sale for the crowdfunding campaign. All right, Sarah Chase, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. I think you elevated the level of our show. I'm impressed that we got you on. So thanks for coming. All the notes, how to reach her will be in the show notes again. So another show for my guest. And my canna bro, David Jazz, and of course, our Canna Mom Show team. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing all the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry. So together, we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Canna Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.